I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, uh, welcome to The Call. It's great to have your company. I'm David Kosh. This is where we analyze 10 stocks in 60 minutes uh, that you send in and we put it to two of our experts, expert panel every day here on The Call for them to pass judgment on those stocks. And uh, terrific to welcome uh, today Owen Raskovich from the uh, Rask Finance, Rask Report. Owen, good to have you aboard again. Welcome. Thanks for having me back on the show, Koshi. I'm joined by greatness today. <laughs> uh, well, exactly, Andrew Page. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Owen talks about greatness on this panel, Andrew Page is one of the most followed that we have. Uh, we always get great reaction to him here. And uh, a lot of people, because he filled in for me over Christmas, so a lot of people say, well, he's better than you. So <laughs> I, don't, so, I don't know that about so that Paige, at all. So, Paige, how are you, mate, from, from Strawman? Really, really good. Going? Yeah, it's great to be back. Great to see everyone at uh, Ausbiz again. Yeah, and Strawman's got a new platform. Well, not a new platform, just a bunch of enhancements and updates uh, have come out this week. Uh, put a lot of work into it. And uh, yeah, so far, so I know good. We've been, you've been telling me about it over the last couple of months, and I know you've sweated it and... He's a bit of a perfectionist, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, <laughs> always come up, come up really well. It, it has, yeah. We're really excited great. about it. So engagements up through the roof. Lots of great content being posted. Lots of great. new users. Good great. stuff. So yeah. if you want to check it out, go to strawman.com. Um, all right, let's start getting into uh, into the stocks today. And although you suggest ten stocks to us, um, I choose one um, that I think's been in the news and. Uh, I thought I'd choose um, CBA today. Um, of course, talked to Matt Common last night after the results came out. CBA, the biggest of the big four, reporting a 11% slip in first half cash earnings, but paying out a higher dividend of $1.50, um, um, which was significantly up on six months ago. The result hampered by record low interest rates, uh, some bad debt provisions, more write-offs, not as much as everyone thought it was bit of a squeeze on margin. I spoke with Matt Common last night and asked him about the special dividend. And here's what he had to say. A number of different tools in our common equity tier one, which is the ratio that the banks look at for capital at 12.6%. It's about $10 billion above the regulatory requirement. Uh, so at the appropriate time, we'll certainly consider a range of different uh, capital return options uh, to our shareholders. 
and that's of course a board decision and uh, when we get greater certainty around the economic recovery as well as the future economic cycle that's the appropriate time then to consider exactly yeah. what sort of initiatives that capital well, return will take. So even though there's 11% uh, fall in profits, um, Commonwealth Bank balance sheet is incredibly healthy. Uh, tier one capital is is through the roof. You couldn't really get a, a stronger balance sheet of uh, bank at the moment. And the reason I asked him was for for capital management going through, because I know a lot of investors are in the big four banks for dividend returns, $1.50 interim dividend, will they pay a special dividend in the next six months or consider a buyback? And that was his answer. So, um, you know, it was a pretty positive answer. I thought he'd just dodge it completely. And he's saying, well, no, it's a board decision, but we'll certainly be looking at it. Um, what do you think of, of CBA shares given that indication from Matt Common, Andrew. Yeah, look, I, I think of all the big four banks, it's the best one. It's got yep. the best long-term history. Um, it, it's just failed to excite me. All of the banks have failed to excite me, really yep. over the last five years or so. Um, we had this, there's sort of been, there's a couple of periods in the history of these big banks. There was this wonderful period of incredible growth from sort of the late 90s through to the GFC. Yep. Um, uh, and it just sort of set, I think, expectations for investors. And this is what you expect from a big bank. And we also, of course, had this period where we didn't have a recession for almost 30 years as well and a booming property market. So everything lined up for it. In more recent years, things haven't gone terribly far from it. In fact, things could have gotten a lot worse given what we went through last year. But the shares in CBA, in fact, most of the banks, pretty much where they were 10 years ago, there's hardly any growth in there at this yep. point in time. And that's fine. You don't have to have growth for a good investment. But if we if we annualise that most recent dividend announcement, you're getting, what, three and a half odd percent or so. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's not that it's it's terrible. It just fails to, to excite me. And I think sure. you still do have some downside risks despite um, some very encouraging economic signs. Yep. Banks are cyclical by nature. We tend yep. to forget that. Yeah. Um, uh, and for me, it's just, it's just hard to get excited about. I think for me, the time that you back up the trucks is when we, when we have the next sort of financial wobble. And it's right. not a question of, of uh, if, but when. Yep. And I think that there you get wonderful opportunities. Yep. Uh, if you're a long-term holder, sure, keep in the bottom drawer, collect the dividends, yep. but I'm not rushing to buy at this yeah. point. But if you want to yield stock, you could do a lot worse. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that this, is a, this is a general truism of the whole market. I, because of where we are at the moment, where interest rates are, I think you have to have lower return expectations. Yeah. <clears throat> Going back to the dawn, dawn of time, the average on the market from a total return basis, usually about 9, 10 or 11 kind of percent. Yeah. I think in the next decade, on average, it'll probably be closer to sort of 6, 7, 8 percent, right. just because of you know, the multiples yeah. that we're seeing yeah. now and, and where interest rates are. So if that's okay for you, yeah. then that's an okay stop. Yeah. Um, Owen, what do you think of CBR? I did, did put the Matt comment with, with the Reserve Bank uh, saying, hey, interest rates are going to stay at these low levels till 2024. I'm an old bugger. I've never heard a central bank in Australia ever give that guidance before. So they're basically saying, go and borrow with certainty. But I said to Matt Common, well, <laughs> with interest rates so low, that puts big pressure on your net interest margins going forward. There's not mm. much to play with. And that's the thing. That's why we've seen uh, the net interest margin come down over the past five to 10 years. And it's because of falling interest rates. And the way this shakes out is that as interest rates get lower, 
it becomes harder for the banks to push a wider margin out. So that's why we've seen across most of the big banks, um, the interest rates that they earn or the net interest margins that they earn have fallen from north of 3% down towards 2 and sometimes below 2% now. And the, the thing is, it's just like any company, if you have smaller margins, you have to push more volume through. So the, the rising property market, lending more, taking market share, have kind of counteracted that for CBA. But to Andrew's point earlier on, um, it's kind of like what next? What is going to get you excited over the next five years? And, you know, by any major sell-off, it's hard to really think that this is going to be a resounding market-beating company. So, yes, you know, the dividend return plus the franking credits is actually very appealing, although it is lower. Um, but we're not, I don't think we're going to see that growth. I wouldn't be surprised to see a special dividend next year. I think the banks have been looking um, for a way to um, cut dividends for quite a while um, and do it in a way that doesn't upset too many shareholders. And I think COVID was the perfect excuse for CBA mm-hmm. to, to, to back up that, bal- that balance sheet, as you said, Koshi, and then explore new capital management initiatives going forward. Yeah, yeah. It's um, also interesting, the payout ratio was... 67% and he said um, next half it will get back to that 70 to 80% that um, they traditionally do. So it um, was an interesting result, but you want your banks to be to be solid. And I was just telling uh, Andrew before we came on air, I was, uh, my eye caught their, their Comsec, um, sort of a little line that said Comsec had added 200 and 40,000 new clients in the six months. Amazing. Wow, that's just phenomenal. All right, that's uh, CBA at the moment. Let's start getting into the stocks that uh, you suggested. Uh, First up, oil search, of course, the um, oil um, uh, producer, uh, basically based out of Papua New Guinea in the last day or so, where they've been uh, received government approval for the um, big LNG facility to be built in, uh, in PNG from the government. Um, oil search was, uh, share price was up a bit on that announcement yesterday. Owen, what do you think of oil search? I noticed the, the oil price is um, rising a little over the last couple of days. Yeah, I must admit, Koshi, um, energy companies are not uh, companies that we follow closely at RASC. So um, when I did do a bit of research this morning and yesterday on oil search, I was surprised to see the oil price had bounced back the way it had because we all know you know, prices effectively inverted um, during COVID as oversupply just ran rampant throughout throughout the, the, the world. Um, I must admit, again, that you know energy companies are not something that we take a look at because what we're fundamentally looking for are companies with durable competitive advantages. And so what we look for is companies that take a, a commodity in and produce a non-commoditized product on the way out, because then that gives them pricing power. So when we look at a company like Oil Search, um, as opposed to say Coca-Cola, which is a really good example, Oil Search brings in um, oil and then sells it. Um, Coca-Cola brings in sugar and produces Coca-Cola, which then it has some control over how much um, that product is priced at. And so when we look at a company like Oil Search, it's great to know that these companies, to remind ourselves that these companies are cyclical, but at the same time, my approach with energy companies tends to be be there for a good time, not a long time, because sooner or later it will kind of revert back. And um, although there are economies of scale with these businesses, i.e. the bigger they get, the more profitable they become, I would rather invest my money somewhere else where I can have more tra- transparency and more predictability over those cash flows going right. forward. Okay. 
All right, so I know for you on oil surge? Yes, I know. Yeah. Um, and Andrew, to, to follow up Owen's point, um, oil, you're a price taker, aren't you? Yeah. OPEC and these big geopolitical influences really set the oil price. You have no input whatsoever, except on the cost side. Yep. And Owen's 100% right to, to stay away from that area. I, I, I do the same thing. And look, let's, let's be fair here. Oil Search is a wonderful business for the business that it has. Yep. It's been around for ages. Um, it's generated, paid a lot in taxes. It's paid, you know, done wonders for the economy, yada, 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 yada all of that kind of stuff. But it's been a very lumpy perform, performer. You're looking at earnings basic for, for investors, for, for shareholders. For, for, well, the company itself has had really right. lumpy results, and that always eventually translates back for the shareholders yeah. as well. It's phenomenally capital intensive. So any money that you do make, you generally have to reinvest into the business to keep the operations right. going. So it tends to be a very low profitability, low return on the equity within the business, and that's exactly what you see. Um, so look, I think for these kinds of businesses, it needs to be something that you take a very, very close look at. You have a very good read on where things like the oil price and costs and all of this kind of mm. stuff are going to be over the next six months. That's a very high bar to jump, by the way, but yeah. that's the kind of the game that you have to play for this business. Because you know, as Owen's rightly pointed out, if I'm buying this for a long-term hold, so sort of three, five years kind of plus, anything could happen. Uh, and there is there is no uh, there is no moat there. There's no pricing power. There's yeah. there's very low profitability. It's just it's just far from the best company that you can you can go in. Okay. And, and remember, as we always say on the program, you can be selective here, right? Yeah. It's, it's You're not, only going to choose twenty. Some stocks. people get very upset when you say, oh, "I don't like it," and I wouldn't yeah. buy it. If it's for you, then by all means, do it. For me, is it the top one of the top twenty best companies that I could buy now? Absolutely not. Right. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Nick. Um, a good analysis from Owen and Andrew on oil search. Now, Michaela wants a view on Duke Exploration. So similar wheelhouse, similar sector, similar view on Duke. They um, uh, mining exploration company, copper, gold, silver in Queensland and New South Wales. Um, they've had some drilling results in the last couple of weeks on the Bandara project in Queensland, which seem uh, pretty promising up near Mackay. Don't they always, Koshi? Don't <laughs> don't the early drilling results always look so promising? When, oh, I was, when, I was, when I was walking in, one of the producers trolled me, sort of saying, "Oh, we've got some we've got some mining and energy companies yeah, like, for no, you today." No, uh, winding you up because they they know my my reaction to it. Look, Duke Exploration is an extraordinarily early stage business, so this is this is incredibly asymmetric. They either put the the drills down and and literally strike gold. Yeah. Um, find that they've got very, very high grade quality uh, ores underground that they can extract from a, a relatively decent uh, cost. Hooray, this thing will explode. You'll make 10, 20 times your money. If they don't, and yeah. statistically you would say, I don't know anything about this project. I don't know anything about what, where they are. But if you look at the industry and junior explorers as, mm. as a whole, statistically the odds of that happening are very low. Yeah. And even when you do find something, the uh, shoring that up, putting the required infrastructure in place. The, the, the lag until time, uh, cash flows is, is so huge. There's usually yeah. a bunch of capital raisings along the way. So this is, this is a lottery ticket. Um, if you understand this business very well and you've got a very good handle on geology and you're very close to what they're doing, then maybe you've got some insights and that's a really great edge that you could have yeah. uh, in the market. If that is not you, stay the hell away. Okay. Um, Owen, I'm fascinated as well because 
Um, this Bandara area near Mackay includes an old gold mine from the 1800s um, and it was quite, quite a producer, the Mount Flora mine. So with new technology and new mining techniques, I suppose, they're, they're going in for another look. Well, there's, a, there's this belief um, in this process called neurology, which is you find um, precious metals <laughs> near other precious metals. So, right. um, you know, that's something to keep in mind when you look at these things. Uh, and, and so, yes, I mean, the, if you look at the grade of gold in the ground and, and what, what companies are, are digging out of the ground now versus 50 years ago versus 100 years ago, new technology has meant that many of the reserves are now easier to pull out of the ground and make that um, economical for the company. But to, to echo Andrew's sentiment here, this is a very small company. It's speculative. And the way we value, the way anyone should value a company like this is effectively you have you know, five or 10 years in a spreadsheet and you, you forecast your cash flows, which is determined by when the company gets to production or if it gets to production, what the costs are going to be, how much gold is in the ground and what it can sell it for. So those are five major variables that you need to consider. And the first one is if it gets to production. And the massive financing cost that goes into that is so hard to predict that it almost comes up with a net present value, i.e. the value of all of those cash flows or future profits are effectively negative. Um, they're almost, it's almost always the case that it should be close to zero, um, in which case that, you know, if you're looking at something like this, you have to be really careful. Um, I often take the view with small companies that you don't have to go to the speculative lengths of looking at explorers to get companies that may have asymmetric return profiles, as Andrew alluded to. So you can look at small cap healthcare companies, small cap technology companies, industrial companies, manufacturing companies, and these companies have more predictable uh, revenue streams and may already be profitable and paying a dividend, and they still provide pretty um, significant compound growth. So this, mm. is, um, this is a no for me. Okay, really good point. All right, and we've kicked off with um, a, uh, a look at the mining and oil sector at the moment. Let's leave it now. All our other stocks uh, are not in that sector. Um, Owen, Jason wants a view on Aussie Broadband. Now, um, boy, they had a, uh, uh, a pretty good run, only recently listed um, uh, October last year. An issue price, uh, IPO price of a dollar. They almost got to $3 in the last week or so. Uh, they delivered a trading update and uh, their connections are up uh, for the last six months, up uh, 31%, up 88% since this time last year. A total of 342,000 broadband connections. Now, with working at home and all that sort of stuff, people want faster speed, I suppose, and they're in a sweet spot. What do you think of Aussie Broadband? Yeah, what a great time to IPO when everyone's at home and yep. wants a faster internet connection, right? So um, I'm an Aussie Broadband customer and I can say uh, that they their customer service is outstanding. Um, I was referred to mm -hmm. Aussie Broadband because someone told me, you know, I'm having issues, um, who can I go with? And they told me, go to Aussie Broadband. And I reckon since then, I've been with them for about two years, I reckon since then I've told another 10 people to go with them. And so... Their key strength here is in that customer service function. And um, it's always a good sign when a business delights its customers because the customer acquisition cost, the cost to get a new customer falls dramatically when word of mouth picks up. If I tell 10 customers, that's effectively 10 customers that they're getting for free um, through my referral. 
So one of the things that uh, Aussie Broadband did when it IPO'd, and I have a lot of respect for the company for doing this, is it sent an email to customers like me and said, hey, we're going to list our shares on the ASX. Did you, did you want some of the shares? Do you want to participate in our IPO? Um, for those who've been following the story closely will know that that was heavily oversubscribed. So um, in fact, customers wanted so much you know, that the company just couldn't issue that many shares. And it's a little surprise now that we've seen the shares shoot up. Um, to your point, Koshi, about new subscribers, the, the, the thing is there that they're, they're nearly at 4% market share or they're around 4% market yeah. share. So that's, that's a pretty big feat for a small company, a company that really only started doing this a few years ago. Now, when it comes to the business model itself, I really like that they're investing in their back-end systems and their customer service functions makes it easier and more lightweight as a business model. So we are seeing some tick up in that gross margin. But the thing is, I'm always skeptical of companies that rely on another organization's infrastructure. So Aussie is trying to roll out some of its own fiber network to um, get its own scale, to put some um, throughput through its own pipes, if you like. And that's a good sign. But if the likes of Telstra, Optus or Singtel uh, Vodafone have taught us anything, is that you must continue to invest in um, new services or new infrastructure for your customers because it is a price sensitive industry and margins will come down if you don't invest, but by investing you also uh, lose some of that margin. So for me, given where the share price is now, I, I, I'm excited by what comes next for the business, but it's probably in hold territory for me. Okay, all right. Um... Uh, Andrew, someone said to me, they, they also, obviously, Owen is a heavy user um, of, uh, and that's the sort of customer that they go for, yep. isn't it? They, they're sort of honing in on those heavy digital users. They are. And uh, as Owen said, just a huge emphasis on the experience there. I think yeah. anyone who's had problems with their internet or phone, you've, you've rung the big telcos, you know what it's like yeah. on a, on a <laughs> you know, in some call center, or just, just, you know, wishing that you were dead. Um, so uh, it's good that they have that because really that's all they have uh, right. as a point of difference. I don't, I don't want to uh, undermine them for that, but you know there is a value chain at play here. MBN Co owns most of the infrastructure here, yeah. and and they they hold the, the keys to the gate, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so any not anyone, but you know a lot of other competitors, and there are a lot of other competitors can come in, pay their wholesale fee, and set up shop and yeah. go around selling MBN plans. So to do that successfully you do have to have a clear point of difference. It's really encouraging to hear Owen's first-hand experience there, and that seems to be being translated into the numbers as well. So I think if they can continue to do that, then great. They're gonna to have to continually work at it. One of the troubles with success is that increased size can make right. it harder to, to be as efficient and as yeah. lovely and as friendly as you were when you, when you were small. The growth numbers are very, very high. They are of a relatively small base too, so we have yeah. to keep that in mind. I think one of the troubles people make with businesses like this is we, we extrapolate 88% annual growth out into the future, which yeah. is very hard to do. Yeah. Um, I haven't done the work to do any valuation on it, but I think there's enough there to sort of say, yes, this is definitely work, worth a very close look. Um, is, is, the, is the price reasonable would be the next step for me, and I don't right. have an answer for you, sorry on that. Okay. So I, I, I would say, uh, watch list for now if I okay. can have that category. All right. Yep, fair enough. I used to hate it when I was hosting and people would say anything other than buy or sell. Yeah, yeah, you, you have to do Oh, it come so. on. I'm Follow like, your own advice. Doing it right Jason, now. I tried. <laughs> Put it that way. All right. Uh, thank you, Jason, for that. Um, Andrew, uh, next up, uh, the Van Eck Vectors Morningstar Wide Moat ETF. That's a, a mouthful. Isn't but, it? Um, uh, obviously, it's, it's invested in companies 
that they you've talked about moats before. Yep. Uh, that companies that have some uniqueness, protected uniqueness in the market. Yes. And and their sector. Yeah, so it's a really interesting one. Um, uh, it's all on US uh, uh, companies. Um, the hard thing about it is, is that there's no question that moats, this term that Buffett has, has uh, termed, are extraordinarily valuable. But the skill is in identifying them and identifying their, their, both their durability and their strength. So for this, we're relying on Morningstar's analysis here. Yep. And I don't want to cast dispersions at Morningstar whatsoever. But you will. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> but but uh, we were a customer of theirs not too long ago. But um, uh, look, the, the, the long-term performance is pretty much has been what the S&P 500 has done. A little bit right. of outperformance there, which is great. For that privilege, you are paying about half a percent or so. Yep. Uh, look, ETFs are wonderful. I really like them, especially if you're doing something with them that it's harder to do as an individual investor. Yep. So get some exposure to some very high quality companies overseas, Amazon, Pfizer, Wells Fargo, Philip Morris, if you don't have too many ethical concerns. Um, you know, and it's, it's just a great, easy thing to do. I often say to all my friends, you know, forget, unless you're super passionate about it, forget the share market, just buy you know, three or four different ETFs, contribute yep. to them on a regular basis and go and do what you love. Yep. You, you'll outperform 90% of the experts out there. Huh. So, so with all of that, then yes, this is great. For me though, on that front, I prefer just the very broad based index trackers. Right. They're much, much, much cheaper. Right. And we just know that there's, they're likely to perform very well okay. uh, over time if history is any guide. So? So, so uh, let's go. <laughs> You're not going again. to do it two in a row. I've done it again. Um, I would say no, but right. only in the sense that, I mean, I think you could, you could do far, far, far worse than this. It's a, it's a really yeah. high quality ETF. As I said, I just prefer the broad-based low-cost index trackers. Okay. Owen? I'm going to, yes. So I've owned the Moat ETF for quite a while, and it's been one of our recommended ETFs for quite a while as well. Um, what I like about it is that it fits right within our methodology or just alongside it, you know, we're f focusing on really st uh, strongly competitive companies, so wide moat companies, hence the name. Um, and then there's also the analyst overlay, which is not only assigning the ratings, but also providing some valuation um, to back those ratings. So if you look in the portfolio around about uh, a year ago, what you would have found was a lot of those tech companies that have performed pretty well because the analysts were saying, hey, there's more growth here, you know, COVID, it's providing some upside here. But now what we're seeing is the more industrial focus. And I kind of like that shift that the analysts take. And what, what, why I like it in particular is that you're effectively paying for an active fund management style uh, product, but you're getting it at a smart beta cost. So what I mean, smart beta meaning not a traditional um, vanilla index fund ETF, but something that does something a little bit different. And so I, I do like the ETF. I think it's a convenient way to get exposure to US markets and those mm -hmm. wide moat businesses. I also think you know the, the change from Vanek to make it Australian domiciled. So when an ETF is not domiciled in Australia, it can get a little bit more complicated for tax reasons. So there are some right. ETFs in Australia that are still US domiciled, but this one um, is now in Australia and it provides that exposure. If you don't wanna go through the rigmarole of a US stockbroking account, this might be something that you can look at. So, okay. yes, it's so, a buy from me. So, a yes from you. Terrific. Um, all right. Uh, Owen, Clint wants a view on Star Pharma. Now, Star Pharma uh, is obviously a medtech stock. They have a, um, you could describe it as a, an anti-cancer sort of uh, formulation, don't they? AZD0466 is for it. And um, they just done a deal with AstraZeneca, or AstraZeneca says 
they're going to put that into a phase one study for uh, on um, uh, patients with ac acute leukemias, and uh, that seemed to be welcomed by the share market. Um, what do you think of Star Pharma? So, like energy, um, biopharmaceutical companies um, or that sector in general is a sector that I have little to no expertise in. So I can't claim to know exactly what's going to happen with any of these trials. And I think that goes to the core of investing in early stage biotech or pharmaceutical companies. Matt Joss, who's a friend of Andrew and I um, from Maven Funds, he had a great quote and he said, you know, not even the scientists or the doctors know exactly what's going to happen with these trials. That's why they do trials. <laughs> so how can you have an edge um, and know more if no one knows more? And so when we're investing in individual companies, what we're looking for is that that edge that we can get. Now, just to backpedal a bit, Star Pharma do have a few product lines and they're at different stages in those trials. So while the business is not making anything um, near, you know, what would be considered respectable revenue, the, the potential is there that one of these uh, product lines does pay off and they can start to generate revenue. But it's much like early stage mining or exploration where there's a pipeline for this and then they must market it to surgeons, to doctors, um, and they must get that on the road, they must make a margin, and you have to discount those cash flows, and it's very, very hard to do. So for me, given how expensive the company is relative to uh, any metric that you look at, this is probably a sell for me because I'd rather go with a business that's mm. more predictable. Okay, all right, Andrew? Yeah, I'm gonna co copy and paste a lot, a lot of that. It's, it's not that it's going to go bad, you just don't know. And, yep. and investing is all about making a sensible uh, forecast on the future. Yeah. And it just bifurcates the future here. You know, there's one, yeah. one parallel universe where all of their drugs get approved, wonderful efficacy, mass adoption. You know, they're worth $400 in five years time. And there's another one where it's like none of them really pass yeah. through the hoops and they're stuck in the R&D phase, sucking up shareholder money. So you, you look at that chart there and it's exactly what you and Owen always talk about with these sort of stocks that you get set. it's all based around the story yeah isn't it yep. and we've got so many of these biotech and med techs that do a phase one study zip up yep. everyone likes it then they take forever yeah so everyone loses interest yeah. and the share price comes down again so wash rinse and repeat it yeah, happens yeah. it happens all, all the, the time. time and you can just see the narrative someone's going oh there's this really great company they're yeah. doing something super exciting um uh, they've just had a very favorable result and shares are going up strongly now yeah. every single one of those statements is true but in the reality of, of sort of Owen's talking about here about future cash flows and the rest of it is it's probably not really changed your probabilities around those kinds of things right. dramatically enough. Yeah. And then a lot of the people that bought it lose interest after a few months, which means the price comes down, which means yeah. a lot more people start to panic, which means the price goes down yeah. again and you just wait for the next yeah. hype cycle to start. Yeah. The, fa the phase one sort of announcements are a bit like the drilling results. Exactly the same. mining explorer. 100%. So they chart exactly the same way. 100%. just takes a long time to start earning revenue, which is what a business is all about to pay profits. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Yep. All right. So um, spike up, though. Yeah. Uh, a sell opportunity. Yeah. Uh, well, look, it, it depends on it, the thing is, before you buy anything, have a have a buy thesis, have an investment thesis. Like, right. did you write down on a piece of paper what your expectations were? You know, what would cause you to sell? Okay. I mean, yeah. I really strongly think in, in advance you do this too many people make the decision to sell um, in, in the heat of the moment yeah. and very much anchored on what the current market price is doing yeah. today. Star Pharma could be 10 times cheaper than it was a month ago. 
right. even though the price has gone up because yeah. the, the fundamentals are just filling in and it's just a much more valuable stock than it, than it was. Okay. We don't know. And so don't make your judgment just on that. It's very dangerous. Okay. All right. Thank you for that suggestion. All right, let's recap the, uh, the first five stocks. Uh, CBA was our stock of the day. A no from both uh, Owen and Andrew at these levels. Oil search, a no. Same with Duke Exploration. Uh, Aussie Broadband, great company. Had a massive increase in share price. Uh, Owen's in it and also a user of it. He's got a hold on it. Andrew's watching it. Uh, Van Eck, uh, wide moat ETF. Uh, Andrew prefers a wider um, ETF that follows an index. Um, Owen really likes the, the wide moat one and has been in it. Uh, Star Farmer, a no from Andrew. And if you're in it, a sell from Owen. Uh, here at the, uh, the call, we track our own sort of fantasy portfolio, if you like, since July the 1st, thanks to our partner NabTrade. All the stocks that get uh, a tick from both our experts on the panel go into the portfolio. If those stocks come up again and don't get unanimous tick, uh, then they go out of the portfolio. It's a way of sort of following investing and, and what it's all about. Um, for the week, uh, we're up a third of a percent in the portfolio. For the month, up half a percent. Um, since the 1st of July, up 26%. Uh, some of the stocks that have been recently added, Northern Star Resources, Ray's Invest, Amcor, Harvey Norman, Calix, Ophir, Hyatt, Conviction Fund. Some of the stocks taken out, the MFF Capital Investment, Baby Bunting and Kogan, those last two, mainly to take profits because they've had such a run up. Um, <coughs> excuse me, you can check all the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Um, are you an investor interested in ETFs? Then make sure you stay watching Osbiz at 8.30 Eastern Daylight Time when Mark Montford from New Era Analytics takes us through the best ETF performers on the local exchange that's coming up straight after the call. So if you're into ETFs, you don't want to miss that. All right, let's uh, look at the, uh, the second five stocks. And uh, Owen, let's kick it off with uh, Megaport. Uh, boy, they've had a, a surge in share price over the last couple of days. Investors certainly getting into it after the half yearly update. Um, reported revenue of $36 million, an increase of 39% of uh, $10 million. Recurring revenue is up at the same time. And uh, while um, the North, North American uh, interest was also up significantly as well. So uh, what do you think of, of Megaport? It's a really interesting business, Koshi. I, I do, I really like it. Um, so for those who don't know, what Megaport effectively does is it connects customers who may have private servers or networks to public cloud infrastructure. So think of Amazon, AWS, Google, GCP, or uh, Microsoft Azure. And it provides these interconnection services. And really, it's all about you know, security, speed, and doing the hard work that the customer can't do themselves. And obviously, we're in this sweet spot with cloud adoption at the moment, where enterprises are rapidly going to the cloud, or they want to um, take advantage of analytics or superior compute that comes with these um, public cloud infrastructures. And so one of the things that this comes back to, obviously, is valuation cost. You know, there's, there's a price and a value for everything. And sometimes those two things are, are, are markedly apart. Um, if you annualize the December, the month of December um, monthly recurring revenue, what you actually get to is around about 76 million. So that's about 26 times sales. That's the, that's the ratio that you're asked to cough up right now. 
Um, I think if you go below that, so the, the, I don't doubt that the business is going to grow at the top line. So that revenue, I think, you know, there's only going to be um, increasing value per port and, and more centers rolled out and newer customers coming onto the, the, the network. So I think, you know, the, the long term, this business is going to keep growing from here. Um, but then the, the other trick is what happens once that revenue hits the income statement? And this is where I think we might see in the next few months is a megaport or next few quarters, I should say, we might see megaport start to hit that inflection point, which is that point where costs as a percentage of revenue actually come down as the business scales. And so megaport has that potential and I'd want to see that start to kick in. So I want to see those employee expenses come down um, as a percentage of revenue over the next year. And so then I know that more of that new revenue that's coming on board is actually going to translate into free cash flow, which is what we do our valuations on. Okay. So I really, really like the business. But the thing for me is just the valuation. I think a hold for now, maybe the next time we come back on the call, it might have fallen a little bit and then I can move that to a hold. But for now, uh, to a buy so, but for now it's a hold. Yeah, that's a really, really good point, Owen makes, Andrew, is uh, that you... Um, it's at that point, marginal costs start to come down but you don't want management to do anything stupid, to go and go, oh, we've got some free cash flow now, let's go and buy something and bugger yeah. it up. You know, you want them to- Burning a hole in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. want them to focus, don't you? Make sure those returns come to you as a shareholder. I think with this management team, you can probably think that this okay. is another oh, Bevan Slattery good. company. He's got yeah. incredible form in this space. I, like Owen, think it's a really fascinating business. The, the criticisms that you hear of Megaport are really valid though. I mean, they, they have been burning through cash a lot over the years right. and they, they kind of have to because they've got all of their money is spent up front building all of this kind of stuff and it's a business that tends to only work well at stage right. uh, at scale rather and you also um, you need the network effect to sort of really kick in and all of those things are happening and as Owen rightly pointed out passing this break-even inflection point too so on a very high gross margin business fixed cost business that can be a wonderful thing and that's what makes the valuation thing so tricky because yeah. it can look stupidly priced and then you know another another few years of what was it 80% growth or something sorry 40% yeah. odd growth and very very high margins and actually it actually it looks pretty decent yeah um so that's that makes it very tricky having said that uh what did owen say 25 times sales even if they get yeah 50 percent net now, margins now that's a 50. we're not talking earnings earnings per share 25 this is revenue they don't have earnings. sales yes yeah yeah right. yeah yep. and, and look that hopefully they will soon at least on an ebitda basis and some yep. might say that that's not a real basis as well but it's a start but but i you can always you can always sort of say well let's assume that they are let's assume that their costs are nothing let's assume they get a 50 percent net margin which yep. is unheard of really not yeah, many yeah. businesses do that you're still looking at a business on today under that fantasy situation of a pe of 50 which is which is sort of getting up there. So yeah. it's, I, I really like the business. It's, it's one to watch very closely. You probably don't want to be too clever and overthink the valuation, but you don't want to completely forget about valuation. And for my mind, it's just, it just seems a little bit too expensive at this point. Okay, all right, okay. Um, Matt wants a view, um, Andrew, on EnviroSuite. They're a, an, they call themselves an environmental intelligence solutions company. They, they help airports monitor their noise pollution and big organisations like that. Um, gave a second quarter um, uh, update, uh, added a million dollars to recurring revenue. Um, Non-recurring revenue, three million was awarded, around two million of which was the airport sector. And they said, 
Um, they think there's huge potential in, in Chinese airports to help them out as part of the China's new five-year plan. Mm. Uh, what do you think of EnviroSuite? Um, I know it, like it, uh, hold shares in it. Um, right. Uh, interviewed the CEO here on Ausbiz uh, right. last year. Yeah. Oh, I should point out, uh, if you're a Megaport shareholder interested in it, we've got this CEO on after three o'clock this ah, afternoon. Yes. So the Ausbiz team will be doing a deep dive into Megaport after three o'clock. Sorry. Yes, yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, so the hard part here is going to give you a, be giving you a short uh, right answer. answer. It's 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 a fascinating business. They they have it's not so much the sensors. They're sensor agnostic. They don't produce them themselves that pick up sound, vibration, dust, noise, all kinds of things. Right. They have the software that looks after all of that. Yeah. So you put these around an oil plant, around a mine, around a port, around an airport, and you just have this wonderful real-time data in terms of what's happening. It's yeah. really important That's for- That's a great for e ESG business. Oh, yes, it is. Wow. And it's, it's wonderful from a social license point of view. A lot of these, their clients operate you know, with permission really from the local community yeah, and stuff. So yeah, they monitor yeah. that very closely. If they do anything wrong, the plant gets shut down, or you know, there's safety mm. concerns, there's all of this kind of stuff that means, you know, forget being a nice guy, just from a hard-nosed financial perspective that this is really important right. stuff. So they have genuine world leaders in the technology that they've got. There's no real mm. clear direct competitor. It's just a very, very niche market, which is yeah. why it's a small Aussie company that's doing it. Um, as you can see, they're extremely volatile. On Strawman, it was something that we picked up early at around five cents or so. It got a bit silly up near well, it's 30 cents. Yeah. Uh, I took a chance to, to lighten the load a little bit. But then they made this huge acquisition recently, really a reverse takeover. The company they acquired was much bigger than, than they yeah. were. But that it does bring a lot of recurring revenue, does bring a lot of scale to them, a lot of extra resources. These guys are likely to be passing that break-even inflection point in the near future as well. 75% mm. of revenues are occurring, very, very low churn, all the lovely SaaS characteristics right. of it. Um, you know, the market just changes its mind because it's very yeah. small, it's very speculative, you've got a lot of people bit, in there that are very finicky. Illiquid yeah. as well, so your big fund managers wouldn't be getting into it yet. Not yet, yeah. And yeah. But, I, but I think if you're patient and you can stomach the volatility and you can be um, mm. have the courage of your convictions to pick it up. We've, we've had a lot of chances to get this around the mid-teens uh, lately. Yeah. Um, and I, on my valuation, which you can see on Strawman, I, I think it's worth closer to 20 cents. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a 25% mm. uplift yeah, yeah. from here. And, and this okay. thing will move in a, in a very wide range around that. So I like it. Okay, Owen? Yeah, so we like it too. Um, and just to your point there, Koshi, um, about institutional ownership. One of our writers on Rask Media actually brought this up not long ago, Lachlan, he said, you know, what's holding institutions back? Is it liquidity or is it something else? And to Andrew's point um, around, you know, this new business, this reverse takeover, this EMS business, it's actually a substantial bite for the company. And so one thing that I really like, and I know the market likes, is visibility on earnings. And particularly with SaaS style companies where you have technology and you sell it on a contract, what you like to see is very clear numbers you know, this is growing at this rate, this is how many customers we're, we're retaining, um, and this is how much you know, they're spending on the platform every year. The thing with a big acquisition like this, no pun intended, it actually muddies the waters and it makes it much harder for analysts like us to say this much was organic growth, this much was acquisitive growth, um, because obviously organic growth is more sustainable for a business. We've spoken to management a few times and we really like this business. It's actually one of the positions, one of the 10 positions in our rocket service. And no. What we like about it is that recurring revenue. Um, management, you know, do have skin in the game. They've been there for a while. And um, we would like to see management stay on because having undertaken such a big acquisition, it's important 
the strategy and for clarity that the business can continue to execute. There were some questions raised about six months ago. You might see that you know the share price up and then down. One of the explanations possibly for that is that there was um, a common director and um, with another company on the ASX which raised some clouds around what the company might actually be capable of doing in China. So with some of those contracts, I'm not mm. suggesting anything nefarious or untoward, but it's important that when you look at the contracts and the pipeline that they talk about, that they do actually deliver on that. Because you know this is a business where incentives uh, matter and you should be taking a very close eye of like how those incentives are earned. Um, we've got it as a buy inside our service. However, um, the results are due out soon. So personally, I'm gonna wait until I decide to buy some for my own portfolio because I just wanna see them executing. I wanna get some more clarity around that acquisition and see how things are really shaking out under the surface. Okay, so is it a yes? I would say <laughs> it's a, a, a hold for Ausbiz viewers. Hopefully we get another question on it next month when I come back on and then I can say yes, but a hold for now. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, EnviroSuite's in the class portfolio, yeah. so it now goes out because oh. it, it wasn't a uh, unanimous uh, view <laughs> on it. So oh, not to make you feel bad, Owen. We might but, be thanking uh, Owen in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah exactly. All right. Um, let's go on to our next stop. Owen, um, I noticed Rass Media did a, um, um, an analysis on Nearmap in the last couple of weeks. You referred to it as Google Earth on steroids. Um, so basically it produces high quality uh, pictures of resolutions of, and imaging for, um, for mapping technology and things like that, which when you think about it, local councils need it, governments need it. Uh, big companies need it when they're doing developments. Um, what do you think of uh, Nearmap and um, Andrew? They had an announcement this morning. I was just seeing that. No, well, just as we came into the studio, they released that they got um, they asked to be put into a trading hold. hold. No okay. reason was given for that. Um, right. I did hear that a, a short seller released a short report on uh, them recently. It sent shares. That, so I'm complete speculation, but it okay. might be in response to that. All right. Okay. So. Um, in a trading hold at the moment, Owen, what did you think of what do you think of Nearmap? Well, that's news to me. I didn't actually see that update, so um, well, not much anyone can do about it right now, anyway. But um, imagine being able to see the the year that a coin was minted from a camera that was you know used in a plane. That's effectively what Nearmap is. Mm. And to give you an example of how valuable this this product is to to its customers, imagine getting um, a solar panel quote on your roof. And instead of a technician coming out, sizing it up and doing all that, they can just look on Nearmap and give you a, a quote because it's so accurate. And so that's an example of the use case of the technology. <laughs> the, the company basically takes these high resolution photos um, and they can be you know, analyzed and are cropped and, and manipulated in ways that allow construction companies, councils to check if you've put in an illegal pool or you don't have a pool fence, all those wonderful things. Um, and mm. they can do that with Nearmap technology. My biggest regret, and this is something that I shared with our members a little while ago, my biggest regret and my biggest mistake in investing um, is actually selling shares too early. And I sold Nearmap shares at 50 cents. And it was my biggest position at the time. So that was quite some time ago. And right. you know, if we fast forward to today, I'm looking at the fundamentals of the business. And the thing that kind of um, bugs me about Nearmap is that it hasn't been able to generate free cash flow. So if you look back the last three to five years, this is a business growing the top line, you know, north of 20%, and it it still hasn't hit what we called earlier on, you know, that inflection point. So when does yeah. it hit that? Because at the same time as not not producing free cash flow, it's obviously relying on capital raisings, 
and going back to the market, they did one last year, um, to get more money to fund the growth. I would love this business to be sustainable, um, but it, at this stage, it doesn't appear that way. So for me, it's a hold. Yeah. Andrew? Yeah, um, some really good points there. So um, the reason it, it, it hasn't been cash flow positive is because it, it expanded over into the US yep. and um, they've, they've been building the business there. They actually had and some- They've been putting resources back into the- You've got to fly planes around yeah, all yeah. over the place at a fairly regular yeah. basis to capture all of this kind of stuff. And then you need to get the sales team on the ground, you need to win customers. And there is yeah. a big competitor over in the US called um, uh, Eagle View. Uh, which which is uh, more of an incumbent there as well. Right. So the results are really encouraging. I mean, Owen's right, 20 odd percent plus, I think closer to 25% compound growth in recent years, which yeah. is a really encouraging sign. But at some point you need to sort of see, it'd be nice to see them becoming sort of self-funding, self-sustainable right. um, shareholders. And I am a shareholder, yeah. um, have, have been very generous over the years with that. It will test your constitution. Um, <laughs> I did, I have bought it since like 50 cents. I've been a shareholder for a long, 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 long time. Um, and, and as you can see, there's been points where I've been euphorically happy and then others like really, you know, the demons come at night when you, when you lie in bed. Um, and, and the bears make some really good points on this. You know, they, should they be capitalizing more of their expenses and are they just going to be too profligate with their right. spending? For me, though, at this stage, on, on uh, balance of probabilities, the valuation is bang on where it is at the moment. So right. I wouldn't say it was cheap or expensive. Yeah. So on that basis, it's a hold. But... Um, if it falls away, maybe it will when uh, okay. the announcement, when they go into uh, uh, trading again and, and they, they tell us what that's about, maybe it will. I think if you've got a, a longer term view, it could be an opportunity. Okay. All right. There you go, Austin. Thank you for that suggestion. Uh, Andrew, Chris wants uh, a view on premium. Uh, premium has uh, basically the an administration platform, isn't it, for, uh, for fund managers? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll keep it quick because I know we're, we're short on time and I'm glad it's not just me that was yeah, running yeah. by on time. Well, well, um, uh, the revenue uh, recently, they reported numbers really strong, up 23%, underlying operating profit a little bit flatter there due to some uh, some uh, write-downs and whatnot. But look, they seem to have good margins. They seem to have some pretty uh, decent overall growth. It is a very, very competitive space. There are a lot of products in yeah. that space. But it is a very nice space to be in at the same time. Yeah. Uh, it has a lot of nice software characteristics. There's a lot of industry thematics that I really like. But for me, though, it is it is a business that on one hand is very st straightforward, but then there's a huge amount of devil in the detail. And right. when I have played in this pond before, I, I have found more than once that I feel as I'm a bit out of my okay. depth. So on that basis, needing more due diligence, it's, it's a, so just a watch. So they're in the net wealth. Um, space out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Your wealth, uh, you know, fund managers, uh, financial advisors, very, and there's some great products out there yeah, as well. Yeah, and yeah. and like with with products for um, uh, for normal consumers, you know, we're all there's a lot of inertia there. Yeah. We're all very sticky. So to get people to switch is not That's easy. Yeah, um, yeah. So anyway. particularly the financial planners, that yes, put their clients into it. Yes. Um, Owen, what do you think of premium? Um, I like it as a business. I followed it for quite a while. I like the management team now. Um, I think they just have a clear vision and they execute. Uh, the, the thing is that it, following the Royal Commission here in Australia, so they've got a UK business which is growing quite quickly and they've got an Australian business. And um, I probably underestimated the impact the Royal Commission would have on premium and the industry at large. And effectively, these guys are sucking all of the, I guess, that extra platform revenue out of the big four banks that, you know, they had their financial planning arms. Mm. And so what Premium can do is make um, an independent financial planner or, a, a, you know, just a, a small shop, so, you know, two or three financial planners, 
It can give them the tools as if they were at a big bank. And so having you know, that tailwind of a lot of these advisors leaving the big banks has actually been great for premium. The, the problem is, you know, it looks great when you look at the marketing documents and they, they do look fantastic. Um, you know, there's investor presentations would say this much, you know, billions in, in farm and growing this fast and what have you, but then you trickle all that down to what they actually earn in revenue. Um, and then what it actually earns in net profit, and it's actually a pretty small figure. So don't be, I guess, blinded by the top line there. Um, you want to be looking at that net profit. And the business is profitable. Mm. It's a business that um, has, I believe, growth ahead of it. As, to Andrew's point, it's competitive. Um, but once customers are on, they are very sticky. So that makes forecasting a little bit easier. Um, again, a lot of the Australian technology companies are, are exy, they're expensive. Um, if, if, point, uh, if premium bills itself, as the CRM or customer relationship manager for financial advisors, um, you can look overseas to the CRM companies and you can get uh, a similar quality business for a lot cheaper. So for me, it's a hold. Okay, hold from you. Um, and finally, Owen, James wants a view on IOOF going from a, um, a new age platform in premium to one of the older mm. financial services providers in the market. Yeah, you still see the, the IWF uh, banner on some of the buildings in Melbourne, some of the skyscrapers there. And I think that's a sign of the legacy of these businesses where yeah. they were um, uber profitable, um, whereas you look at the more nimble businesses like Premium that have come in and effectively solved these problems um, with transparent fees and uh, a platform and software. Um, so I've got to be honest, IWF is not a company that I follow closely because it's just really not the type of business that gets me excited. It's got debt. It's a mid cap, so it's well covered. It's um, just been declining for many years. I think maybe if you're a shareholder, you're hoping for the MLC business to be a catalyst and spark a turnaround. Um, but for me, given that I need to do more uh, research into this business, it's a hold for now. Yeah, yeah I'll keep it quick. Our shares down 60% since 2018. The yep. business is in the middle of a strategic review horrible. and turnaround, which is always a, a horrible thing for yep. a shareholder to hear. Yep. Even if they're successful, they can take a long time to gain real traction. So, no, it's, it's a pass for me. That if, you, if you like that space, premium is a far better choice. Okay. All right, let's just recap the final five stocks. Uh, Megaport, a hold from uh, Owen, a no from Andrew. Uh, Enviro Suite, um, a a yes from Andrew. Um, Owen's put it on a hold and we'll watch it until the results come out, but it goes out of our uh, core portfolio as a result. Uh, near map a hold from both. Uh, premium, uh, a no from Andrew, a hold from Owen, and the same with IOOF. Um, Owen, great to, uh, great to see you. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, people can uh, go to Rask media if they want any more information some some great insights into a lot of stocks appreciate your time on the call thanks koshi and i promise next time next month i'll have more buy ideas i'm, I'm confident of that oh no, <laughs> no no you did great that's fabulous that's what we want we want the honesty you do the work uh andrew page from straw man always great to see you and um, I was always fond of saying you've got to be picky too yeah, so yeah. you shouldn't apologize for, for saying no, no. exactly yeah. right totally agree all right, that's it for the show for today. If you've got any stocks you want us to uh, analyse here on the call, flick us an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Reminder, all the stocks in the call's portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, if you're looking for your next investment, uh, Startup Daily could be 
Uh, for you, the team looks at all the companies seeking capital and the latest in the startup and that tech world. Vince Scully joins the team, founder of Life Sherpa, uh, as he launches a $2 million capital raise. That's coming up between 2 and 3 p.m. And don't forget, chief executive of uh, Megaport, just after three o'clock, talking about their latest results. Vincent English will be joining the team. So we'll do a deep dive into that stock. A lot happening on Ausbiz for the rest of the afternoon. You don't want to miss a minute of it. More after the break.